you wanted the best, you've got the best podcast. The hottest, hottest. podcast in the world. In the world. The Chris Voss Show, the preeminent podcast with guests so smart you may experience serious brain bleed. The CEOs, authors, thought leaders, visionaries, and motivators. Get ready, get ready. Strap yourself in. Keep your hands, arms, and legs inside the vehicle at all times. Because you're about to go on a monster education roller coaster with your brain. Now, here's your host, Chris Voss. Hi, folks. It's Voss here from thechrisvossshow.com. Thechrisvossshow.com. Welcome to the big show, my family and friends. The Chris Voss Show, the family that loves you but doesn't judge you, at least not as harshly as your mother. Uh, so welcome to the show, my family and friends, to the Big Top, the podcast in the sky. As always, we have the most amazing guests. I think you're going to be excited to hear from this one today because he's going to be bringing a wealth of knowledge, a wealth of experience, and a wealth of uh, decades of uh just uh doing some exciting things in the world and i know some of you out there are going to be like oh my god and you're going to be giddy with all sorts of uh, coolness uh i know i am my nipples are hard right now <laughs> can i do that joke on the show i don't know we'll check with the attorneys anyway guys uh in the meantime as always we use those teasings and lead-ins to guilt and shame you into referring your friends family relatives to goodreads.com for says chris voss youtube.com for says chris voss linkedin.com for says chris voss and uh also go give us five star reviews on the uh itunes there we certainly appreciate you we love the people that do that they have a special place in my heart it's kind of like right over here if you're watching the youtube video and uh just there's a whole box and a room in there for those people and when and when i sit at the rocking chair at the end of my life i'll be like sitting there thinking of all the wonderful people who give us five star reviews so uh, you will be remembered anyway guys <laughs> shit in the ramble uh we have an amazing gentleman on the show we're talking about some really cool stuff and uh, i promise you if you're not impressed then well you know there's other shows uh we have a gentleman on the show todd wanish uh do i have the correct tom did i hit that right yeah, you absolutely did. There absolutely. you go. I want to make sure. It's uh, it's early today in the morning. Todd Wanis joins us on the show. He's a blockchain enthusiast and Web3 visionary shaping the future of digital interactions. He's a multi-award-winning entrepreneur and product specialist with over 25 years of experience in the animation and comic industries. He's uh, contributed to the creation of uh, original IP for renowned companies like, you may have heard of these, this is what's going to be exciting, Marvel Entertainment, Cartoon Network, Adult Swim, Warner Brothers, and Kid Robot. If you haven't heard of any of those companies, where, where, where are you living in Utah or something? Todd has had the privilege of working directly with creative legends such as Stan Lee. You may have heard of him as well. If you haven't, then you're definitely living on a rock. And Jeff Koons, and the most successful American artist since Andy Warhol. It'd be even cooler if he worked with Andy Warhol, but uh, I don't know. There you go. Uh, in addition his uh, to his impressive career in animation and comics, Todd is also deeply involved in the Web3 space. We're going to be talking about Web3 today. And he is a key figure in the development of adult fantasy dot io it's not what you think we'll find out about that and web3 comic dash con pioneering the intersection of digital culture blockchain technology and pop culture he's a mentor and an advisor and he shared his expertise with entrepreneurs for some of the world's top startup institutions incubators and accelerators uh and welcome to the show tom how are you i'm doing great man how are you 
there you go. We're going to have a broad-ranging discussion here. This is going to be pretty fun between entrepreneurism and IPs and Stan Lee and and uh, Marvel Entertainment, all these really cool things that you've done. Give us a .com. Where do you want people to find you on the interwebs and stalk you? Well, I've got two for you. The first one is adultfantasy.io. So it sounds exactly like what it is, adultfantasy.io. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the second one is web, the number three, Comic-Con. That's C-O-M-I-C-O-N.com, which is, which we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about. There you go. There you go. So give us a 30,000 overview of both of these companies. I know adult fantasy sets a tip off that it might be something, whatever. And I I guess I had a dirty mind as you uh, explained to me in the, uh, in assuming something, (laughs) tell us what they are. Uh, Well, adult fantasy is smut. No, I'm just kidding. Good night, folks. See you later. No, <laughs> we just lost half the audience. Right. No, it's it, so adult fantasy is actually a a system for uh, allowing original creators to come in and and develop and create um, intellectual property and characters like a character franchise creation system uh, in a in a bottom up approach. Oh. Uh, so so the reason it's very it's very simple adult fantasy. You know, we, we tend to be uh, grown-ups who like pop culture mm-hmm. uh, and, and fantasize about making stuff. So there there's go. nothing, especially in Web3, if, if anyone's been looking at Web3 or, or just been curious about it, uh, nothing screams uh, adult fantasy than a bunch of grown adults, grown people purchasing JPEGs in the hopes of bigger uh, and better riches, right? It's pretty fantastical. So uh, adult fantasy uh, seemed like a good name, and it also turns heads, uh, which, you know, is always, is always a good thing in my book. Usually Usually they go to the website and they're disappointed. They're like, Oh, this isn't what I thought it was, but it looks really cool. It looks like a lot of, uh, I see what, you know, I see like a lot of uh, kind of adult swim sort of characters and, and different NFTs, I guess here and things like that. For sure. So, so the, the idea behind adult fantasy, you know, we're certainly with my background from Marvel entertainment and cartoon network and adult swim, um, we we're really here to to do the things that that we as creators always wanted to be able to do which is like like if you look at the things that we buy like if you're watching on youtube behind me i've got what i call the world's like most expensive green screen it's essentially just a ton of toys and comics and graphic novels and books right and as a kid when you're buying these things you're just a consumer right Mm -hmm. you buy the spider-man book uh but you don't have any say in the direction of spider-man you don't have any ownership in the spider-man property you get to go pay to see money to to see spider-man in the movie theater basically Mm -hmm. right or t-shirts or backpacks or whatever um but if you actually think about it from from the standpoint of a a community or a tribe around that character well for example take take uh venom so one of Spider-Man's biggest villains, his biggest bad guys is Venom. And the when that book came out in the 90s, I think it was the 90s, uh, early 90s, late 80s, mm-hmm. something like that. Um, uh, the character of Venom, of course, the story was great and and the art was phenomenal from, from Todd McFarlane, genius comic creator. However, um, it was the fans that made Venom a popular character. The fans yeah. bought the book. The fans said, we need more of this. And so the head of honchos at Marvel said, okay, it's a money tree. Let's make more, let's make more Venom. And so you start with a mini series and that sells out. And then they'll say, okay, let's put it on some merchandise or license it out. And that sells out. And fast forward a, a decade or so or two, and all of a sudden you've got Venom movies, right? Mm. But but as the as a fan, you or I don't have any say in that. It's a one-way relationship. Well, with with 
the blockchain and web three, we actually can change that dynamic and, and own what it is that we create. The number one word you have to understand with web three is ownership. Mm-hmm. That is what web three is about, right? If, if web 1.0 was about uh, read, right? Where you mm-hmm. were reading the web, really simple websites where you could just like read blog posts and, you know, really early forms, right? Web 2.0 is where we are now, which is write. So you have the ability to read and write with Web 2.0. That's your apps. That's your mm-hmm. Facebook. I can type a post into Facebook and hit post and everyone can see it. It's databases and logins and all that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. right? Um, well, Web 3 is about ownership, where okay. through Web 1 and Web 2, we gave up all of that information. We don't own mm-hmm. any of our privacy. If you you type a key in your computer, it is being recorded, right? It, everything, everything you do, everything you do is captured and data mined and reproduced and, and reused for advertising and and all kinds of purposes that you may or may not agree with. Well, with Web three, you actually stay in control of of the things that you create. It is mm-hmm. it is provable. It is uh, permanent, uh, and only you can change it. So it is it is about you know, assuming that we're moving deeper and deeper into the digital age and more and more people are going to do more and more digital things, ownership becomes a real big deal. And so from the adult fantasy perspective, we were like, well, what if we created a universe, the next Marvel universe, the next great property where, where first we'll see it with characters because that's my background. So I'm like, Mm -hmm. cool, let's do 1990s Marvel comic style characters meets meets Venture Brothers from Adult Swim because I love both those properties just mm-hmm. to kind of put the idea out there and then start creating the tools uh, where other people can come in, whether you're an artist, whether you're a writer, whether you're just a fan and you don't actually have any skill or talent to say, you know, to think of. It doesn't matter. We're creating the tools where you can come in and create a property, create a character and by, you know, kind of uh, kind of. I don't want to say tricking people, but strategically showing people that they can also build businesses for themselves by way of these creative out- outputs, right? And so, yeah. and so we're bringing those tools together so that a community uh, can, can, can build these characters, build these creations, and then the, the best can rise to the top and, and people who create them can get rewarded for it as they should. There you go. So, uh, how does let's talk about how that plays into Web three, the Comic Con mm-hmm. uh, property, and what you guys are doing there, and then we'll get to your origin story. For sure, man. So, so Web three Comic Con, we we had a, a really interesting uh, point last year where we had launched we launched Adult Fantasy in twenty twenty one and did pretty well. We were pretty happy with the results, um, and then in twenty twenty two we were launching our products and kind of continuing to grow Adult Fantasy, but we we were kind of like, well, what's next, and we also knew that the market in you know can always go up, can go down. We're in a recession, or you know maybe you don't think we're in a recession. I think we're in a recession. So you know it. There's always, regardless of the economic temperature, it's always volatile. So we were like, well, what can we do to make sure that we're going to be here for the next fifty to one hundred years? Like, what can we actually do to increase our footprint um, and really connect people together? Because um, that's just like we're creating with adult fantasy, like the connection point for creators and, and fans and things like that. We said, well, what if we created a network effect for founders and actually people who are actively building in web three. Mm-hmm. And so you can almost think of these as, as like a staircase. So we were like, okay, people can come into adult, adult fantasy. We can help them create their businesses. We can help them launch characters. We can help them have fun creating toys and games and t-shirts and all kinds of stuff. And then if they get traction or if they want to get a bigger audience, maybe we can create something like Web3 Comic Con where they can have a virtual booth and they can actually do interviews and actually get their word 
their work exposed to a much broader audience. Uh, mm-hmm. And the other, the other reason we thought about this is, um, whereas in IRL, the real world with pop culture conventions, um, you know, you can travel, there's a ton of them, and they're relatively affordable. In Web3, uh, these conventions are uh, scattered all over the globe. And in some cases, they cost thousands of dollars. Mm-hmm. And so from our perspective, we were like, well, that's not really going to onboard people. And and a lot of people kind of have heard the word, you know, blockchain or heard the word Web3, and they're not really sure what it is. And they're not sure how they fit into it. You know, is it a scam? Is it not a scam? Like, there's all kinds of crap information out there. And so we thought the best thing that we could do was to put a virtual conference together with some of the best pop culture and entertainment brands that we know, friends of ours, get them all together, uh, do interviews and, and really educate people about not just what each project or company is working on, but really show how Web3 is the future of entertainment and how it's the future of popular culture, among other things. And uh, the best way we could do that from a ticket price is to say, you know what, it's free. So if you go to web3comiccon.com, it's a, you just push a button, say claim a free ticket. It's a free ticket. Um, the show is live right now, as in today. It goes on for the rest of this week. So if you're watching, you can, you can go there right now. Uh, and uh, yeah, it's fantastic. And, and we've gotten a, thankfully, we've gotten a fantastic response from, from fans and creators. And, and we, can't, we're, we think this is the beginning of a beautiful thing. There you go. I know a lot, you know, we talked in the green room, you know, a lot of people can't go to these shows because they sell it so quickly. They're expensive to go to. Uh, and you know, a lot of events have gone online now, 5,000 plus attendees, 40 plus speakers, uh, three days. It's going between August uh, 16th through the 18th. Um, and so, you know, people are still watching our videos from 10 to 15 years ago. Uh, so, uh, is this going to be held every year? So if someone's watching this, 10 years from now, they'll, they'll know where to go. Yeah. Uh, is, is that the planned yearly sort of event? A hundred percent. So we'll be doing this every single year. And there's all, we're also, uh, once the convention is over. So if you're like, it's the 22nd, I'm like, damn it, I missed it. I just heard the show and it sounds awesome. <laughs> it's, it's totally okay because we're, we're planning uh, different ways that people can watch all of the replays and get access mm-hmm. to everything. So this is an ongoing venture. Um, and we're really here to, to ed- it's a cross between, education, you know, a lot of education in the space, uh, but we do it in a fun way because I think the, the coolest, the way to, to become a fan of something uh, and learn what it can do for you is by seeing what it can do for other people and, and have fun doing so. There right? you go. So it looks like we, it- we even have the people, the future of golf, you know, we talk about all, all kinds of stuff. So sports, games, comics, you name it. And you guys have a thriving discord looks like about 7,000 plus people that are in their discord doing stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And we've been very fortunate and, and, you know, it's, uh, uh, you know, it's magic. You know, I just showed up in a, in a towel out of my shower and did some uh, TikTok videos and everyone showed up. <laughs> That's usually how it works these days. Uh, so there you go. Uh, so Todd, tell us about your origin story. Uh, you work with Stan Lee. Mm-hmm. You've worked with a lot of impressive uh, different companies and stuff, Marvel Entertainment, et cetera. Give us your, your origin story. Tell us about how you got here oh, and man. Uh, some of the things that, you know, you learned over the, over the decades that uh, go into the current uh, products you're working on. Oh, for sure, man. Great question. So, so the, the TLDR of my background is, um, I, from the time I was, I can remember all I wanted to do was draw comics professionally. And Mm -hmm. so I have kind of a, 
uh, one track mind when I put my mind to something, I tend to tend to do it like just like conventions. Like, hey, let's throw a convention. That'll be easy. Right. <laughs> it's totally fine. We'll just learn how to do it. Um, so I really wanted to do comics. And by the time I was old enough and had the experience and by the time editors were looking at my work and saying, hey, you actually you finally hit a professional level, the entire comic market crashed. And this is like in the 90s. And so I was just graduating college and I was like, well, I need a job. And uh, fortunately, I was in Atlanta at the time and Cartoon Network was there and Cartoon Network was just taking off. Mm -hmm. um, so I got very lucky. I bothered the hell out of people. I called every day. Uh, well, I called I called once a week for like two months until the producer. Uh, uh, I'll never forget. He forgot to put the mic. He forgot to mute the phone. And he was like, can we have a job for this kid, Todd? Like he keeps calling. Can we just give him something? And I was like, yes, like just badger people. That's the persistence, persistence and badgering. Yeah. Polite. Badgering. Uh, and then once I got, once I got in, I literally never left. Um, it was also because I was broke and they had a stocked kitchen. So I was like, well, they have a bathroom and a kitchen, so I'll just live here. Uh, and so I just, I just kind of made it my goal to, to be the first one there and be the last one to leave. And just, even when there wasn't any work, I, I would ask politely if I could show up. Uh, mm -hmm. just to, because they had empty desks. I was like, well, do you mind if I work on some of my own stuff? And they were like, we don't care. And so wow. I put myself in a position where I was the, when the work came in, I was the first one there. So they were like, okay, you. <laughs> yeah, that's so, brilliant. So I started off as an inker uh, because my pencil, my comic line was really tight at the time. Mm -hmm. uh, and then I moved up to assistant animator and an animator and director and all this kind of stuff. Moved up through the ranks uh, and uh, ended up launching my own, my own uh, company. Uh, mm -hmm. It was just my. It was just me and maybe one or two friends uh, that I would contract, and so we called it a luxury animation boutique. Oh, right, sounds nice, right? Yeah, it but, does. Yeah, it's me and expensive my bedroom, with two two yeah. friends. Ex exactly, yeah. it sounds expensive. So, um, uh, so that we ended up working on a lot of like with a lot of great clients that way. I ended up doing a lot of music videos. Um, uh, dirty, uh, dirty South hip hop was huge at the time in Atlanta, Georgia, in the South. So, mm -hmm. um, Outkast, Goody Mob, things like that. Um, Tony Braxton, The Roots. So I ended up doing a lot of music videos for them. Uh, thought I was going to be, I really wanted to be a music video director. Like I, I absolutely, like AHA, the, the classic AHA video take on me. I, I was like, that's my career. I'm just going to do that. If I can't do comics, I'll just animate music videos. And that way I won't be bored and I'll always be able to experiment and grow and all that. And of course, uh, YouTube comes out and of course the music video thing kind of goes away. Um, migrated up to New York City in 2003 uh, and uh, uh, kept doing stuff, kept working, kept kept hustling, and slowly over time just started releasing my own products. Mm -hmm. um, it was, you know, we, we generated, we created toys. So this is actually a bunch of our own toys back here that we launched. Mm -hmm. um, and um, really, that's sort of how the entrepreneurial journey started. Mm -hmm. um, and the way that the Stanley thing started to kick in and the Jeff Koons thing kicked in is I had been doing my own company now for probably... Uh, 10 years, maybe a little longer, mm -hmm. maybe 15. Mm -hmm. And I, no one ever taught me business, right? Nobody, I, I was, I just would kept, I just knew to keep getting work. Like I was like, I'll just be here and you just keep giving me stuff to do. And uh -huh. that'll be, that'll be the career, right? That's how uh -huh. it worked. And I realized after so many, like that roller coaster ride, the peaks and the valleys and the ups and the downs, um, you know, after, after several years of that decade plus of that, I was like, I can't do that. Some, I'm missing something. Mm -hmm. uh, and then, so when the opportunity came, the really the first opportunity was for Jeff Koons, a friend of mine called, called up and was like, Hey, we're looking for somebody, but it's full time. Um, I shut the studio down. Hardest decision I wow. ever, ever made. It was a massive pay cut. I mean, 
we're talking, you know, a, a, a lower than $20 an hour job. Wow. Um, from, from making, you know, close to six figures around six figures a year. Yeah. Right? So I, I was a huge pay cut, but I was at a point where I, I didn't like, I didn't, I didn't know where to go. I didn't know mm -hmm. how to break the the ceiling that I had created for myself. And I was like, well, oh, wow. this, this guy's the number one artist in the, on the planet. Like surely if I'm inside his company, maybe I can like, of course, make the best work I can and make myself a valuable assistant and all that good stuff, but also learn the ropes. Like what does he, what does this guy know that I don't know? Ah, right. And, and that was also the same thing, the jump from Marvel. So I learned all the stuff I wanted to learn uh, working with Jeff. It was a fantastic experience. Mm -hmm. uh, and then the opportunity for Marvel came up exact same thing. I had a friend call me up from like a guy I knew in high in uh, college. Mm -hmm. Um, Someone who I, I kind of peppered his mind like three or four, three or four years prior. I had just wow. said, Hey, by the way, if you ever need an, an, you know, an Iron Man animation, give me a call. I'll do it for you for free. Cause I fucking love Marvel. You know what I mean? Uh -huh. And, um, and, uh, he calls me out of the blue and is like, Hey man, you remember that? You remember that animation thing you were talking about? I was like, yeah. He's like, you still doing it? I was like, for you, of course. He was like, well, they're looking actually at Marvel. They're looking at, uh, maybe bringing somebody on. You want to do an interview? And uh -huh. I was like, yeah, why not? And so one thing led to another, and, and that's how I landed at Marvel. And uh, they brought me in to develop my own intellectual property. So I got to go through their 8,000 characters and create a pilot. Uh, and, then, and then they brought in Stan to, to pitch the pilot at San Diego. And uh, it, was, uh, it was wonderful. It was fantastic. I got to, I got, uh, you know, I, I feel like I did my best to use my time with Stan wisely and just ask him a ton, as many business questions as I could without being like that snot-nosed brat in the corner that just won't leave him alone. You know? uh, <laughs> there you go. Yeah. I mean, the, the Stan Lee is, is like, I don't know, would you call him the godfather of comics or? Oh, 100%. Yeah, you can yeah. call him that. Yeah. I mean, I mean, uh, he, he loved by everyone around the world. Recently passed, I think, a few uh, years ago. I think, mm -hmm. and uh, I always wanted to meet him. I thought he was a really cool dude. He always seemed really nice. And then, you know, it, some of the cameos in a lot of the different movies and stuff. Um, and and so I think I think the fan base for him. You know, I I grew up collecting comics as a kid. You know, we had the simple stuff back then: Superman and Spider Man and and all that stuff. Uh, it seems to have uh, done a lot of things. Um, and and to for viewers tell us what's in your background because for viewers that are most of the people are going to listen to this on the podcast and audio but uh, we want to encourage people of course to go to the youtube and subscribe uh, there's the plug but what's behind you there's a, there is a picture of stan lee behind you and and other things give us a, a readout on what that uh, oh sure so so over on this side this is all at the top shelf is uh manga like japanese comics mm -hmm. uh, and then i have some these are all graphic novels and different art books and then directly behind me, this this pillar kind of in the center, these are called Marvel Essential Collections. Mm -hmm. And they don't make them anymore, but what they did for uh, quite a while was they were reprinting all of the classic stories, all of the stuff from Fantastic Four number one and Thor number one and Captain America number one through the issues of hundreds. And what they were doing is they were reprinting them in black and white on newsprint paper, just like the original comics. Mm -hmm. And so from for an artist's perspective to see tens of thousands of pages from the masters of comic illustration as they as close to seeing the real art as possible right without like an artist edition or something mm -hmm. it's just a treasure trove for me and then up here uh behind me directly behind me we have uh other artists we've got uh alex toth and uh jordy brisette uh, jordy Brunet and um katsuhiro tomo who did akira uh, like that's his whole, that's an entire shelf dedicated to him. Akira Kurosawa? Uh, no, Akira the movie from 1988. Okay. okay. Yeah. 
so Neo Tokyo, all that good stuff. So basically, these are sort of the people that inspire me. This is like my inspiration nice. wall. Yeah. Uh, and then, and then to this side, these are all pieces that we created. Like, um, this is a lot of like I'll show you real quick on the on YouTube here. So like these are a couple of characters. That, oh wow! Right. And so these were very similar to what we're doing now. These this was a, an early experiment uh, called Blanky, and I think twenty. I'm going to say 2010, 2008. Right. It was 2008 wow. to 2010. And uh, these were designed by artists all over the world. Uh, mm -hmm. We did a contest and I was like, well, I'll make the platform, which is the, the shape of the toy, because I had I'd done toy design, right? Mm -hmm. um, and we got all these artists from all over the world as, in a contest to design the toys. And uh, uh, yeah, and so it was, it was pretty successful. I just, uh, you know, manufacturing and having to put all the money up front doesn't seem like a good idea to me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> But now we're in the world of digital. So, you know, we're kind of doing yeah. the same thing with uh, with adult fantasy. It's just kind of bumping it up a notch. There you go. And then you don't have the upfront cost in the inventory. So there yeah. you go. You don't have to do the production stuff. I mean, that's I, 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 I built my businesses back in the brick and mortar age, you know, back when you had to do large investments just to, yeah. you know, sign a three-year lease on an office building, buy all the furniture and, and then uh, get the licensing, sometimes government licensing. And then, and then after you paid for all that, you're just like sitting there going, I hope somebody buys our stuff. <laughs> it's hard. It's, it, that is not easy. It, it's, it is, not. it's incredibly difficult. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, now it's, it's a whole new age, you know, now you can start a business. You just go on GoDaddy and, you know, 20 bucks and you're, you're cooking. Uh, but this is great. Uh, what's going on uh, in the future. And of course you talk to entrepreneurs as well. You help entrepreneurs teach them, uh, you know, talk to them about uh, how to start a business, how to monetize and all that good stuff, I guess. Cause you kind of went through that journey where you, you had to figure it all out. Yeah. A hundred percent. I mean, the, the short story behind that is, um, you know, in between while, while, it, kind of in between all of this, uh, my wife and I were learning how to code. So this is back 2013. Mm -hmm. um, we we taught ourselves how to code. My wife is now a lead dev. She's huge. Oh, wow. just a, she's a freaking genius. Um, I found that I was, oddly enough, better on the design side, on the, the front end of that, that kind of stuff. But what we were doing was we had a, we had a company called Arting uh, that was a decentralized gallery platform for artists. Uh, it's no longer up. It doesn't, it's not there anymore. But again, you can kind of see the thread of, of this throughout my life is like trying to build things for creative tools for artists to be, to help them with business. And uh, we started doing a lot of contract work for a lot of startups, um, both venture backed and bootstrap startups in, in New York city. Cause we were there. Hmm. And um, one of the, one of the, one of the things that I did, and, and I think I'm, I'm thankful for is I always go into a situation and maybe it's a character flaw, but I always go into a situation, a new environment thinking that I know nothing and that I'm the dumbest person in the room. <laughs> right. So I'm always like, I don't know what I'm doing. Clearly if you have an app and you have venture backing and you've got the funding you've raised, you know, one, two, three, $10 million, you know, something that I don't know because I've never done that. Mm -hmm. And by doing the consultancy, what I would do is I would, as we were building the apps for them, I would pepper them on their marketing because I was like, well, clearly that's my, that was my failure at the time. I was like, that's my biggest weakness. I can make all this amazing stuff, but it's, it's like hell trying to get people to buy it because I don't have a massive audience. Right. And I don't know how to get an audience. Mm -hmm. And so these people raise a lot of money. They must know more than I do. And so I started asking them about marketing stuff and they really, what I learned very quickly is that they had no idea. 
Um, a lot of the answers were, oh, well, well, we'll pay a marketing firm after the app is made, which is mm -hmm. a terrible idea, in my opinion. Uh, and and when, when I would ask them about some of their marketing ideas, what ended up happening, in, and it wasn't a plan, is they would tell me their plan, and I would be like, don't do that. No, 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 no. And I would tell them about what happened to me and my background, because... I've launched so many company companies prior to adult fantasy and before we had successes, right? Mm -hmm. I had like seven or eight companies that just either broke even or failed outright. And so I had seen a lot of, I had made a lot of mistakes. <laughs> and so I was telling people like, don't do, I wasn't necessarily telling them what to do right, but I was like, don't do this cause it's wrong. Mm -hmm. And what happened over time, over a period of years of me doing this, it started where I would start, you know, just tell them on the phone and then it mig migrated to videos because I didn't want to say the whole thing again to their co-founder. And <laughs> what, what I learned is that um, I started to gain confidence in myself in that regard because the, the, I learned that the people who actually took my advice did well and the ones that didn't, did not. Mm. And not to say that I'm, I was some sage, but I was like, okay, well, clearly I know what not to do, <laughs> right? I was like, just don't do what I did and you'll be fine, you know? And, and Sounds like uh, my whole life. <laughs> uh, right? Exactly. And so that's over the- You didn't over have the, to agree with me. <laughs> totally. Well, you know, but that's what I'm here for, Chris. <laughs> I set it up. You, yeah, you did. Um, yeah. <laughs> so so over, the, over the last 10 years, I've, I've coached and mentored and, and advised a, a number of uh, startups, startup founders and, and entrepreneurs, and we have a really good track record with their success. Um, and so why not try to bring it to a bigger audience? There you go. You've worked with uh, the Teal Fellowship, Peter Teal probably, and Techstars and all that good stuff and uh, done mentorship experiences with them. Uh, so, you know, you, you, I guess you deal in blockchain uh, technology and uh, you've been good at merging it with pop culture. Um, what do you see the future of the space of Web3 blockchain technology and all that, uh, do you see Web3 becoming this huge, expansive uh, future? Uh, this seems obvious, but I'd love to hear your words on it. Yeah, hundred. Yeah, 100%. Like, mm -hmm. where we are now is where we are right at the, if you remember, I mean, you, you look much younger than me, Chris, but oh, uh, if, if, you, if you remember, if you remember the, uh, the dot-com era, Right, and no, I'm too young for that. Too young. I okay. Yeah. Well, for those of us who lived through the dot com era, made a lot um, of money day trading for that. <laughs> I right. did. Well, you remember it was it was everyone was talking <laughs> about the internet, and it was like, why do I need the internet? I have a fax machine. Oh yeah. Oh, you can listen to music online. Why I have tapes? That doesn't yeah. make sense. Who is going to want this? Right. Yeah. We have the we have the broadcast news. Why do I want to watch a video online? Like, so so there was that, this huge gap. Uh, between the opportunity and what the future was going to be and what most people could see. And that's where we are again. Um, again, the, the point of Web3 and blockchain, the very key point, if all you do is take away the fact that Web3 is ownership, that's, that's the key to everything. It's ownership of, your, of everything from your identity to the things you create, to your home, to everything. So as Web3 moves forward, you're going to be able to own all of these things that are now digital. You'll have you'll have, retain ownership of whatever assets you you have in your possession. So uh, the applications are kind of endless, but I think some of the obvious ones are tickets for shows. Right. Well, if you have it as a digital ticket, you'll scan it in on your phone. That ticket is an asset that you own, which means you can resell it later. So if you go to a concert and it turns out to be like a the equivalent of like a 
legendary Beatles concert or something, you mm -hmm. actually have something that you can sell on secondary and you can actually make a profit because you have a collectible. Um, likewise, um, you have a lot of um, fraud that happens with home title things and all kinds of stuff. Well, if you have your home uh, title on the blockchain and, and it's clear that you own it, mm -hmm. right? It's, it's immutable. It can't be changed, which means unless you do something stupid, it can't be stolen. Like it's mm -hmm. permanent. It is a record of the things you have. Um, other uses that aren't necessarily like fun comic book animation entertainment stuff that I, I think are important. You know, we're we're now in the in the age of AI and deep fake technology. Um, and I don't I don't know how how familiar you or your audience are with with what's going on, but mm -hmm. we're about six months away from people being able to make blockbuster like hundred and fifty million dollar films, right? But from their laptop. Because wow. you can you can now use a prompt just as you would in ChatGPT or any other AI program. You can type in and it will render video, and the video is spectacular. It looks like it, it looks like a blockbuster movie. And so we're we're very very soon moving into that age where you're not going to be able to tell real reality from video. Right? And we're already there now. You think that's going to challenge maybe you know uh, Hollywood per se? You know Netflix. Oh yeah. Amazon. Why do you think Why do you think they're on strike? Ah. Currently. Yeah, that's why yeah. that's the key. One of the key things is that they're afraid that AI is going to take, take their job and they're correct. Yeah. And so and so when when you have all of these these potentials to, you know, where someone could could, you know, take your likeness and do something uh, negative to, you know, to you. Well, once that video is encoded on the blockchain or once these images are encoded on the blockchain, there's a permanent record that shows this is original. And this mm -hmm. has been edited, edited, modified, or for whatever reason is not the original. Mm. And so I have no doubt. One of the things that excites me the most, just as as a as a potential investor for these things, is uh, when you start to see police with their body cams. Very soon, all those body cams will be encoded onto the blockchain, so that so that the judge in whatever case will know for certain, and the jury, of course, will know for certain this actually happened. Here's the record. Jeez. Because if it had been modified, if it had mm -hmm. been modified, it wouldn't have the same record. Yeah, I know it, the Biden it, administration just cut a deal with the uh, with the the guys who run these AIs like Mid Journey and stuff to to start marking stuff so that it, it's some somehow putting an identifier on stuff so they can know uh, what's fake and not. We probably need more of that. But geez, I just thought that you know, what if somebody takes a body cam and does a deep fake on it? You know, it could create a fake right. scenario that. You know, and then that goes viral. We're already seeing, you know, politicians being thrown under the bus and in some deep fakes, you know, like oh, this guy died or something. And people are like, oh, my God, you know, I mean, and people believe it because they don't they yeah. were so we're so like Broken. the old the old phrase of like, don't read, don't believe everything you, you hear or don't believe everything you read. Well, mm -hmm. video, we have such a trust in video because we see it. Yeah. Right. And it's very, we now can't trust whatever you see with your own eyes. Wow. Right. And so we, we actually now have a technology that can actually ensure originality, ensure proof of, of, of truth, I guess, um, mm -hmm. or, or at least original sourcing. Plus, you know, it, it transcends that and goes into entertainment as well. So mm -hmm. you get to make something, you can own it. You know, whereas if you're an artist and you put something, you draw a picture and you put it on, on Instagram or Facebook or Twitter, anyone can just drag it and drop it to their desktop and they own it. Cause there's yeah. no, there's nothing that says it's the original. 
There you go. Um, you know, you, you, you've talked about how in the next six months we're going to see this explosion of people making their own films. We, we've been, we lived through a few of these iterations. I mean, you know, it used to be there was three news stations that you watched on TV, like when I grew up and probably you grew up. Um, and now, you know, there's everybody's got a damn news idea or concept you know everyone's on facebook talking about whatever the like like they're you know like they're like they're uh, uh, uh i want to say ted koch but he was the head of uh, new york or um what i've got something mixed up ted koppel that's the word i'm looking for you know everybody thinks they're they're the you know the news anchor desk of, of cbs right um and uh uh, and then we've seen that with uh, video. We've seen that with uh, YouTube. Of course, we, you know, we we were early on with uh, YouTube videos, and uh, news has been disrupted incredibly. You know, and geez, if they disrupt film, films. What's interesting thing about film is film is one of our biggest exports uh, and, and major money makers. It's still yeah. like a, it might be a cornerstone of our country. I don't know. Um, in in the billions of dollars that go into it, geez, if you if you blow up Hollywood and democratize it to where just about any idiot like me can make a movie and possibly sell 150 million dollars worth of it, or or a semblance of it. I mean, you, there's lots of creators on YouTube that don't make a lot of money, but they enjoy doing what they do, or they make enough to to get by. Um, that can be really huge. I mean, and no, I don't think anyone wants to see me as a as a leading man in any movie anytime soon. <laughs> well, I think it depends on perspective, right? And and one could argue that it's already happening. Like, you know, you have you have really big legacy companies like Disney and and other companies, and <clears throat> sometimes without going too too deep into the weeds of it, I mean, even some of their movies that they make um, are now being banned in China or being banned in other countries. Oh yeah. Even even if they're making even if they're even if they're tailoring their content specifically for the rest of the world because of the saturation of the American market. Right. Mm -hmm. And so they're already getting pushback. And so I think, I think you're, I think there's going to be a huge opportunity for the creator to grow their own audience, grow their own property, um, uh, build their own businesses around whatever it is that they create, you know, mm -hmm. whether it's in, whether it's a traditional, traditional quote unquote business or, virtual, it's not going to matter. Um, and then uh, these larger legacy companies will end up being the partners. Wow. I think I think just as you saw, and you've already seen this, if you think about with, what Disney did with Star Wars, what they do, they bought it. Mm -hmm. You know, Disney and Marvel, what did they do? They bought it, bought it yeah. right? There's all this, all this like consolidation and acquisition happening because they need, they need that fuel. They need that, those original stories. They need those creators. Mm -hmm. And then what happens just because they're large companies and, and, you know, for whatever reason, uh, they end up squeezing them like a grape until there's nothing left for a while. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and so they need, and so they need to find something else. And so I think you're finding, this is why you're finding YouTube stars kind of blow up now where they have their own TV shows or they're getting their own movie deals or all this kind of stuff. It's just going to elevate. Um, and, and so I think you're going to see, uh, not just from the creator economy, but from every sector, I think you're going to see large companies start to partner with people who kind of stake it out on, on their own, uh, in their own way and make a name for themselves and make an audience for themselves. Um, any, any large company is going to want to, want to magnetize themselves to that. So I went through the, the, uh, Twitter social media, 
uh you know new revolutionary era post uh the the great uh recession um and it, it was like the wild west and then of course there was the gobble up of you know facebook buys everything uh and as you mentioned disney buys everything uh roger I, Ro <coughs> robert Iger uh, just took over again as ceo i think he's a great guy of uh, disney and i think one of his comments that he's made correct me if i have this wrong but he, you know he he felt like they over uh, did the Marvel movies like too many? They they mm -hmm. just they they kind of fed too many into the system instead of trying to pace it out and you know not not to not to overkill the brand. What what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think it. I think that's correct. And I think one of the things that hurt the brand. Um, so when I was there, it was I, I came into Marvel when they I think they were doing Iron Man two, mm -hmm. and one of the things that I found fascinating and and really. As a, as a positive was at the time the the film division the mcu side which was in in burbank uh was basically they were basically using the marvel writers as a writer room so they mm. they were they didn't know a lot because they're hollywood people they didn't know a lot about the source material and mm. so they were they were have calls and they would have conferences and retreats with a lot of the well-known writers of Marvel to say, okay, and, and basically just talk about the characters, the storylines, how this could work, how that could work. And I think you saw that outcome in those, that first decade of film mm -hmm. um, all the way up through Endgame, right? Um, now, prior to that, uh, prior to Endgame, and I think, was it, was it, I don't remember if it was happening when I was there or after I left, but, but at some point, um, Disney basically said, we don't need you guys anymore. Thanks. We got this. <laughs> right. I mean, wow. hundreds of billions of dollars, you know, a year later and, and you, you start to, I guess you start to feel like, you know, what's up. And so they started, they just didn't, they didn't talk to any of the writers. They didn't talk to any of the creators. They, they, they're, there's still people. I don't want to make a false impression. There's definitely still people at the MCU in there that know the history of Marvel and that are very knowledgeable of the topics of course, but to the degree as it was in the initial days, it was no longer the case. Mm -hmm. And in my opinion, I think, and I could be totally wrong, and that is a little bit of an outsider looking in, even though I, I was there for a while. Like, in my opinion, I think that hurt the the films, hurt the brand, because they're at the point now where a lot of the storylines, a lot of the characters, a lot of the things that are going on are kind of in name only. Mm -hmm. Right. And maybe that's because they feel like they've kind of gone through the history and picked out the best stuff. And now they have to create new stuff. I don't know. But but I think that that there's a creative deficit. There's a gap between the fans like myself, who there's a million stories I would love to see. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and the people who are making it, who who either may not like the original story, think they can do a better job, may want to use it as a platform for something else. Um, you know, whatever the reasoning, uh, they're not they're not elevating the classic stories in a way that they were in the beginning. Yeah. I would agree with you. I mean, <clears throat> I, I probably lost my comic book fan years ago, but I, I, I kind of gave up watching Spider-Man don't hate me, but it's just like, can we, can we quit telling the original story and do something different? Like <laughs> yeah. every time I go, I'm like, wait, I thought there was another guy with Spider-Man. Who's this guy this week? The same thing with Batman. It's really annoying, especially when you put the, the guy from the vampire movies who can't act his way out of a paper bag in charge of Batman. Come on. Which is probably why they brought back uh, the, the great actor. Uh, I forget his name, but he's been in so many movies uh, for one of the Marvel 
uh, things. And I'm like, yeah, go back to him. Um, but uh, they did, you know, Star Wars did the same thing too. Like, I, I like Star Wars, but it's like, how many fucking movies do we have to blow up the Death Star in for real? Like, right. Can we? Well, that they don't know. They don't, you see, they don't know what to do. They're like, well, fans like this, so do the thing again. <laughs> you know, we'll just do the same movie, but different. Yeah. Like, right? <laughs> no more Death Star. Just <laughs> right. move on. Like, yeah. uh, you know, they, and they, they have kind of the, the I guess the, was the Manchurian, the, the, I want to say the Manchurian candidate. How old am I? The, the um, Manchurian Mandalorian. Yeah, the Mandalorian. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, with the little baby Yoda, but, the but Mandal even then, Mandalorian. yeah, but even then, you know, so many of these movies now I you know, you or I probably remember watching movies back in the day where they didn't make movies necessarily for children targeted or you know multi-family spans and they also didn't make movies for merchandising like you know there was no jar jar binks and and crap and and uh, different things were like we can sell anime dolls of this idiot character mm -hmm. i mean they they kind of did a little bit i think i guess back in the day but it wasn't it wasn't like the movie didn't seem designed for that you know what i mean like you can watch movies nowadays and you're like Oh, this is clearly something that's going to end up in the Disney store. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, no, and I, well, I think that's a good, I think that's a great point. Right. And I think that's also <clears throat> why, why you're going to see, you're already seeing sort of a bottoms up reaction to that, where people are just like, screw yeah. it. I'll make my own content. Yeah. Like the technology's here where we're like, we can do it ourselves. And yeah. I think what you're, what you're seeing and what you're reacting against uh, is a combination of the natural greed of large large industries right mm -hmm. which is not necessarily a bad thing it's just sort of the way it works um and the budgets the ballooned budgets that they have now for these things if you're yeah. going to put in 300 million dollars into a movie it has to be a billion dollar blockbuster just to break even yeah um and i i i'm with you i kind of miss you know one of my favorite movies of all time is the fugitive with harrison ford that was a good you know? movie. Yeah. or or the game with uh that was a, such a great fucking my all-time one of my all-time favorite movies yeah. man so but, and these were, i never saw were, the ending coming oh me neither and i still i still watch it and i and love it's movies like, like that but that's the thing was that a hundred million dollar budget of course not yeah. did they did they make it with a, the idea that there were going to be toys and all this kind of stuff no and that's okay <laughs> right yeah that would be great you know i <laughs> Although I do know a guy who basically turned the game into an actual business. That's Did a, he really? Topic, yeah, that's a topic for another time. Yeah. Probably a life coach or something like that? Like no, a, no, like literally huh. doing what happened in the game. Oh, like he, yeah. wow. Okay, mm -hmm. there's some, I hope his liability policies are high. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah, that, that, was a, that was one of those movies that, yeah, I didn't see. But, you know, you, you bring up a good segue why people are sick of Hollywood. You know, I mean, I think even... What was the movie back in the day that I think was a black and white and it was from the 20s or 30s and it started making fun of how Hollywood just recycles everything. And the, and the irony was, it's the gal that comes down the stairs. It's the washed up actress, I think, movie. Yeah, I, I forget. Don't remember. But uh, um, they, you know, they started doing, they started the meme joke of Hollywood just recycles everything. And this is in black and white, 1920s, 1930s Hollywood. And, and yeah, I think you're, I think you're right. I think everything's been done so much overdone, redone. You know, I mean, do we really want to see Iron Eagle 20 and uh, <laughs> Iron Man 10? You're right. I mean, well, come on. What do you, what do you do as a, as a multi-billion dollar international conglomerate when someone on YouTube can have five, six, seven, eight million subscribers and yeah. get and get a quarter million views on any video that they make in a week. Yeah. 
Look like at how, uh, do you, how do you compete with that, right? Who's that guy that uh, he 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 just owns YouTube? He's 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 a billionaire, basically. Uh, Mr. Beast. Mr. Beast. Yeah, mm-hmm. you look at a guy like that, and you're just like, you know. And there's a lot of kids that would rather watch his movies than some of the stuff that they put in theaters. Uh, you know, they tried using a lot of this AI technology in the new Raiders of the Lost Ark. I guess that that's a bomb now. Um, and uh, you know, I was going to mention earlier. I want to fall back to this a little bit, but not spend time on it. But you know, we we talked about how uh, merchandising and, and the manipulation in the movies uh, that that breaks the fourth wall for me. When mm-hmm. I see the merchandising or I see the play in the movie, that you're just like you that didn't need to be in here. You put that in there for a merchandising play, or you put that in there for some sort of social commentary, virtue signaling play. Yeah. You know, like I'm never going to go watch the Barbie movie. I've I've heard never, it's all over yeah. the place, and it's mm-hmm. it's kind of an interesting, funny commentary. But it, evidently, they tried to slap everybody in the face, and I just to me that's not a movie. I just I want to see a story. <laughs> I don't want to see a a pop culture social media commentary, fucking whatever. I, I, if I want to see that, I'll go on Twitter, Facebook. You know. Well, I think that's what you're what you're saying is is the. A, a planet-wide reaction to that, yeah, right? With Web3, with blockchain, with all this stuff, like, again, you, you are now part of a community and the way that you, the way the people that support you support you. And mm-hmm. what I mean by that is you make the thing and you start to attract people. And as you work hard uh, and as they work hard making their thing, you support each other. And so as you start to build your audience, as other people start to build their audiences, and as you start to do, to do joint venture partnerships or collaborations or giveaways or raffles with one another, the audience cross-pollinates and you start to share the wealth of, of, of the creators, right, of, the, of, the, of that creation moment. And so it doesn't, it eliminates the ability. I mean, certainly you can make a topic on whatever you want to talk about, but mm-hmm. there has to be people involved because... What Web3 does is it democratizes the creation process. So there is no, there is no black box anymore of, of saying, hey, I'm going to make the movie that I want to make, and I'm going to say the thing that I want to say. You can do that, but good luck, right? Huh. Whereas, whereas when you go to Web3 and you're saying, hey, I really want to make this film, and in order to get this film funded, we're actually going to sell uh, these, these digital collectibles that can be redeemed for this. We can vote on this. You can actually have a say in the direction of the, of the, of the movie, maybe even who we cast. Um, as the audience becomes a part of the filmmaking process or whatever creative endeavor it is, they, they end up becoming not only your biggest fans, they become your, um, you know, kind of like your biggest, um, you know, what do you call it? Like um, uh, evangelists, right? Mm-hmm. Because they're a part, you are now bringing people. It's not, again, our generation is, I want to go to see a movie that I like and they're not giving it to me. Therefore, I'm not going to go again. Right, because we're the consumer, they're the product creator. But mm-hmm. now everybody is a part of the same process, so everybody is ha- kind of putting a, putting their little two cents in. And you have a voting; you can have voting systems, or just by trade, just by volume, just by community. Everybody gets a chance to kind of put their input in. Doesn't mean mm-hmm. everything gets made. You know, it, you know, too many cooks in the kitchen is still a thing, right? But but when the final product gets pushed out there, when it gets made, when it gets sold, everybody celebrates because everybody had a hand in the in making of the thing. You were there from the beginning. You know, you didn't just go to a, see a trailer and go to a movie. You saw the casting. You saw the shots. You got updates daily on on the filming and 
you, the director, there was that one time the director said, what do you guys think of the shot? And you said, I think you should reshoot it. And he said, you're right. We should reshoot it. And they did. And it's so cool. So mm -hmm. all of a sudden you have, you have a communal way of creating whatever it is that you need to create. And, and it's, and I, I talk a lot about entertainment uh, and pop culture, but it's not just about entertainment and pop culture, right? It's, it, it goes to everything that we're, that we do as a society. Well, this will be explosive. I mean, you're saying in six months we'll have these these people making movies. I've already seen what people are doing with AI, with uh, with uh, all, all the different uh, artwork they're making and uh, writing and stuff. I mean, you could probably write a lot of scripts on on uh, AI these days, ChatGPT as well. Already uh, I imagine there's people already doing that. They're writing books on. I know that. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> but yeah, if, if if we have a disruptive movie thing. Uh, that's just going to be huge because people are going to tell original stories. You know, I've seen you know like Martin Scorsese. You watch you watch some of his original films. I'm kind of a fan of some of them. Um, you you watch how he came up and how he developed and and different things. Uh, and and how that made how that made a difference and and made great uh, producers and film. You know, the original Akira Kawasawa movies. Oh, yeah. you, know, you you watch those. I'm a big fan of him. You watch some of those original things. I mean, he like made basically the genre of film basically and, and cinematography yeah. and stuff um uh and and screen shots which is i guess isn't cinematography but yeah if we have if we have all these people that it becomes democratized where you know you don't have i know a million people in hollywood that you know you know hollywood too and there's a million people with the script i mean yeah i can't walk around you can't walk around hollywood for five seconds without someone trying to hand you a script right um there's so many creative talent that are probably there that 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 uh, is a base that could be tapped into, and this could be really huge. Well, I'll give um, you I'll, I'll give you another, one more example in the creative. I'll just show you from the when I saw and I think a lot of people, it's it's so interesting. I was I was talking to somebody much smarter than me the other day, and you know we're in a very strange time where, you know, right now if you think about games, uh, the games own the player, right? So mm -hmm. why wouldn't the player want to own the game? Mm -hmm. Well, of course, who wouldn't, who, if you're a player of a game, who wouldn't want to own that? Mm -hmm. But we've been conditioned. It's, it's a, it's very much almost very similar to like a, a Stockholm syndrome, right? Where, where we actually sympathize with our captors where we're like, well, I, I what do you mean I can own it? Well, I mean, it, it's a, it's such a radical concept that I think it's a lot, it's very hard for people to grasp. So as an example, um, like with adult fantasy, we are, uh, after web three comic con, uh, we're actually in development of a tabletop role-playing game. Oh, really? Um, do, you, do you ever play tabletop games like Dungeons and Dragons or anything like that? I, but when I was a kid, we played tabletop. I didn't ever get into D and D, but I know a lot of people are. It's it's huge. It's huge. So yeah. so when one of the first rules of of doing any kind of tabletop role-playing game is you you're making your character mm -hmm. right. The inherent problem with making your character in a, in a tabletop game is that after the game is over, you don't really have a use for the character, even. Mm -hmm. Even if that campaign lasts a year and a half, when that campaign ends, that character document just goes in a little folder and you get to keep it and good luck, kid, have fun. And you just create another character. Yeah. Well, because of, of technology like the blockchain, what we have the ability to do is to create a very simple rules light character builder and campaign generator where you can come in, you can create your character. We even use AI to help generate the backstory. So it's a very, you get a really nice detailed backstory of a character. And then you play the game. And as you play the game, because of technologies like AI and blockchain, these things can get logged. So mm -hmm. for instance, you're playing a game, 
all of a sudden you have an account, like a profile, like you would on any application, any web app, where here's the history of your character and all the adventures that they've done, hmm. right? And once you start to bring things in like AI, you don't even have to be awake because all of a sudden you have an AI system that's like, oh, well, while you were asleep, somebody in Utah uh, was playing and their characters met your character in a village that you were visiting. And so all of a sudden you have these new little snippets of story that are developing your character over time. Hmm. Well, as you're developing a character over time in this way and you're doing it through fun, I think that's the the most important thing. You're not, it's not work. You're playing a game. So, so as you're having fun and you're developing a character and a, this rich lore and this rich backstory, well, what happens is other people start to recognize your character. First is people at your table or people that you play with. And then as, as it gets bigger and bigger and bigger, certain characters will start to get recognized across the spectrum of any number of games that are being played. And as these characters hit a certain level, now we have a... A, a character with a rich lore and backstory with tons of stories with an audience that knows the character and cares about the character. And now we can actually reach out to other partners through licensing deals and product deals to actually make your character into toys and t-shirts and lunch boxes and, and animated shows, all of that stuff. And of course you, as the creator of that character, you get, you get rewarded for it. And there so I think what I think this is, this is the future, at least, with my passion with these character franchises this is the future mm-hmm. like why why wouldn't you kind of crowdsource the creation of of new properties the next marvel universe the next big mcu thing why not crowdsource it from people that care about it and play play it uh and then let the cream rise to the top and and reward that and then everybody wins there you go well I've, I, you've given me some amazing ideas and uh wow i didn't even think about this future of film so you've opened my eyes to that that's really an interesting play on disruption of hollywood and all the things i mean technically no one's ever disrupted and one of the problems with the hollywood is, is it is kind of a i don't know what you say it's a top one percent sort of game i mean even even you know even that shows in the distribution of money in the sack stuff you know most of the people you know i think what's the average person in sag make like thirty thousand dollars a year or something uh so it might be less but uh and that's why they're on strike but uh geez if we we democratize that whole thing for making film i mean right now i've got my old man in the sea beard so i've got some hemingway movie ideas or uh or uh orson welles I could probably do Orson Welles if I can learn Othello or something. I don't know, fucking know. Uh, I'll just do Citizen Kane too. And just run around and I don't know. <laughs> right. Rosebud, Rosebud. The uh, <clears throat> that or I could do a really sad movie about the pathetic life of a podcast host and uh, <laughs> you know all, all the drinking I do in the back. I don't do drinking. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, I know this this thing where you have this glorious podcast, this glorious podcast interviews in life, and then offset you're just like. My life sucks. This is Fridays around here. I don't know what that means. Anyway, you know, I don't know. For some reason, I have some dark drama of that in the back of my head. I don't know why. That's great. Uh, and I see, I see. Who was the actor who played Batman? He also played that uh, uh, Daddy movie where he it was in the eighties where he was at home. He's a great actor. We referenced oh. him earlier in the mo- in the show. And I, yeah, I'm terrible. I can't with that. bring him up. Yeah, I'm terrible with things. I'm great with faces, 
but uh, I'm thinking of him in the movie. You know, he's played some recently dark characters and stuff. So I'm thinking uh, uh, of, of some of his stuff. But um, yeah, there you go. Whatever. I don't know. Yeah, you're like it's like the Black Swan of podcasting. <laughs> Black Swan. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Something dark like that, where it's like it's like I don't know. Maybe maybe there's like a podcasting ghost that haunts me or some shit. I don't fucking. Know. <laughs> That's right. But, but yeah, something like that. Uh, God, it's the 1989. Michael Keaton is the name I keep. Oh yeah, around. of course. That's yeah. some of the references we've been doing on the callback of the show. So uh, I see him playing. I don't know some washed up dude or something, and I don't know some dark place. So which is Fridays around here? Anyway, uh, <laughs> moving on. I don't know. I got one. Hey, if you if you have a better screenplay, send it in the Chris Voss show. Send it in our email, and and we'll give it a look. And maybe maybe I don't know. Maybe there's a maybe there's a movie there or something that will just bomb, which is probably uh, uh, apropos for this uh, moment. Anyway, uh, uh, Todd, anything else you want to promote or plug before we go out that we haven't covered on? You know, no, man. I would just say um, check out adultfantasy.io. It's it's spelled exactly the way it's spelled exactly the way it sounds. I promise it's not pornographic mm. smut. Um, although, don't tempt me. Uh, and uh, <laughs> and uh, Web3 Comic Con, uh, W E B, the number three, C O M I C O N dot com. It's the largest online only uh, Web3 pop culture conference and it celebrates creators and fans. It's mm-hmm. uh, live August 16th through 18th, but don't worry if you're listening to this after, there's going to be replays. Um, just hop in. Uh, it's really simple, it's free. So just give us your email and name and we'll send you a bunch of information and, and show you how to do it. And Honestly, Chris, uh, you know, a thank you for this because this has been a blast. And and I also like, look, man, w- whether we're talking about the the um, the democratization of film or or anything, I think the proof is in the pudding, right? You you are, you were both examples of that. Like mm-hmm. twenty five years ago, could you like this wasn't a possibility? It was either radio yeah. hosting or nothing, yeah. right? And then you're like hopping in. It's like yeah, I'll just compete with like Rush Limbaugh. It'll be fine. <laughs> and or 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 like on my side, even even a couple months ago, you know, we we started talking about Web three Comic Con last year, and and who who the hell can launch a convention? Like we've got forty speakers, the biggest mm-hmm. names in Web three. We have a tiny team, like you know, we're we're just a few, a handful of people, um, but we were able to do something virtually that costs tens of millions of dollars to do in real life. Yeah, tens yeah. of millions, and has the same buzz, the same. The same fun, the same. I mean, people, every, everyone's really enjoying themselves. We're getting great feedback. And it's just a sign of the times. If you really want to do something, now's the time to do it. Don't let anyone stop you. And and do your research and figure out a way to make it happen. There you go. I'm going to start thinking of uh, movie scripts and movie plots uh, for Chris Foss, the Chris Foss show. And I, I'm glad you presented this because, you know, we were just going to launch an OnlyFans next week. So <laughs> Sold. <laughs> no one wants to see that. Uh, so anyway, thanks, Todd, for coming on. And what what a wonderful discussion as well. Uh, we got your .coms, right? I think you just plugged them. Yeah, sure. Adultfantasy.io and Web3ComicCon.com. And, and Web3ComicCon is spelled W-E-B, the number three, C-O-M-I-C-O-N. There you go. And thanks for coming on the show. We really appreciate it, man. Thank you, brother. I appreciate it. There you go. Thanks so much for tuning in. Go to goodreads.com for just Chris Foss for the show your family, friends, and relatives. Give us five star reviews on iTunes, LinkedIn.com for just Chris Foss, and uh, I think YouTube.com for just Chris Foss if I missed it. Thanks for tuning in. Be good to each other. Stay safe, and we'll see you guys next time. And that's just.